0: Good afternoon on this bank holiday weekend and welcome to Startup Nation, our weekly show that celebrates innovation and entrepreneurship. Startup Nation is brought to you by Dublin Business Innovation Centre, where ambitious entrepreneurs get support to start and scale their businesses. I'm Conor Carmody. I hope you'll stay with me over the next hour as we explore the emerging technologies that are shaping our future world. On today's show, we'll be looking at connectivity in our cities and homes. And If you think about our lives today, we live with so many connected devices. Alexa, you have a Nest, you might have wearable like a Fitbit. So connectivity has become very much part of what we do on a day-to-day basis, across work, play and even sleep. And you may also have heard the phrase, the Internet of Things, and wondered, what is that? Well, it's the technology that enables devices to be smart. It collects data and uses that, that data along with machine learning to provide us with information or to take an action. So how does all of this actually work and what type of businesses are being created around this new connected world? That's what we're here to talk about this afternoon. Firstly we're going to learn more about what the future city will look like and we're delighted to have Jamie Cudden who heads up the Smart Cities program at Dublin City Council join us and he'll tell us what's in store for our cities. We're going to hear more about smart mobility in our cities, how will we move around in this new world. And to explain this to us, we'll hear from founder Andrew Fleury of Luna Systems, who are developing new technology for more efficient city travel. And our final guest will be discussing the Internet of Things, which is the platform that's going to enable a lot of this connectivity and how it is opening up new opportunities for disruptors and innovators. We're delighted to have founder Paul Glynn of Davra to join us later uh, on the successful expansion of this Irish business, which was started up in 2010. So let's get started with Futurescope, where we look at an emerging trend or technology and we ask our guest expert how it will shape our future lives. For context, the Smart Dublin programme is supporting innovation across a number of areas, from smart streetlights to parking sensors, uh, flooding sensors, automated waste collection, it's effectively transforming how our city works, and that's what we're going to try and explore. And to discuss the smart city of the future, I'm delighted to be joined by Jamie Cudden of Dublin City Council. Jamie, good afternoon and thanks for joining us today.
1: Absolutely. Thanks very much. Delighted to be here and look forward to talking about the smart city of the future.
0: Brilliant. Thanks a million, Jamie. So let's take a quick look into the future, Um and, and try to understand maybe what the cities of the future might look like. So if I look, if I came back to you in five or 10 years time and we were talking, what will the city look like at that stage, do you think?
1: Yeah, I, I get this question uh, quite a lot. And, and I think, you know, probably the city won't look a, a whole lot differently. But but really, when, when we look at the, the new technologies and how they're evolving, really where the real power is, is, is the type of data or information that we're starting to get back to help us kind of understand how the city works and how we can, manage the city better so you talked about some of the examples there you know parking sensors or smart bins so knowing when the bin is full or knowing where parking is or being able to just get around the city easier um maybe using an app and not worrying about whether you're on a bus or a taxi or a scooter um they're the type of things really the technology is just about making life a lot easier and and then the other thing that i think is really important is that our cities be become more sustainable and we're addressing kind of climate action so so really, what we're trying to do is build better cities, and the technology is more of a, an enabler. And, and I think some of the some of the big trends. I mean, you, you probably all heard four G, and you know we have our mobile devices, and yeah, you know, we use our phone for everything. The next generation of that five G is just going to transform, I guess, the, the range of possibilities for the yeah. technology that underpins cities, and and that's going to be quite, I suppose, quite exciting. And, and one of the things we're seen a lot of in, in uh, Dublin City Council is just the use of, of drones has really taken off, excuse the pun, <laughs> over, the, <laughs> over the, last, the last couple of years. You know, everything from, you know, survey and mapping to, you know, filming and, and we've seen a lot more filming and, and, and using drones uh, in the city, but even just uh, our fire brigade using drones for emergency response, first responder, first responders, you know, drones to monitor pollution. It's just, yeah. you know, I, I just can't get over how quick some of these technologies are moving and, and and the pace of of change is just uh, phenomenal. So really, what I, what I like to kind of say about the technology is that we're not driven by the technology, yeah. but we're about trying to deliver much better cities, um, better outcomes, and 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 it has to have a real environmental. Uh, Flavour that it's really getting us to the right place in terms of uh, climate action as well.
0: So you, thanks. So you mentioned there um, it's not about the technology. The technology is an underpinning or is underpinning the change. You mentioned the data uh, being very important. Maybe just kind of tell me a little bit about what do you mean by that?
1: Yeah, well, I, I think one of, one of the probably you know when people ask me about smart cities and you, know, you try to give them an example of something that's really made a difference to their. Uh, life I, I guess you know the I don't remember about twenty thirty years ago I remember you' would be waiting for a bus and you wouldn't know when the next bus is coming and uh, you know when they started putting up the real time uh, signs, that was just a game changer yeah they'll you know, be able to see when the next and then putting it onto an app and now if you go to Google, you know it integrates the the bus the train um everything you know what I mean so it it's kind of that that's the type of transformative effect it can have or if you think about you know how we used to get a taxi. And uh, now you've got the free now or yeah. both or different different apps. And think about things that are coming down the line like scooters. Uh, well, let's see how that pans out. But, you know, and then being able to kind of get hop on your Dublin bike or, you know, get the Dart, uh, walk a little bit, uh, you know, get a Go car or Yuko, you know, the shared yes. mobility yeah. services that you see them in the neighborhood. So maybe you don't need to own a car. So it's just like all this type of stuff is just, it's just so exciting because it's so new and it actually. Is, is is really beneficial as well. So yeah. I I think that's going to be some of the the biggest changes is just mobility and making it easier not to own a car, right. and uh, maybe make it easier to cycle around so, the city and so electric bikes as well. Like I mean, you see the amount of people on electric bikes know, and the super yeah. bikes and the Moby bikes. I mean, can you imagine? You know, you know, we put a bit of technology on a bike or a scooter, link it to an app, and all of a sudden it's like a billion dollar company um, offering services around the world. Cities are embracing it. You know, it's phenomenal. Like that stuff you would never have imagined could have been run by startups and, 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 and scaled. You, you, you know, all the things that used to be in the realm of government and yes. cities now is kind of, you know, it's much more open and and I guess there, there, there's pros and cons of that so we need to make sure that we get the right Outcomes and it all links in nicely to uh, to the transport systems.
0: Yeah, it's amazing the, the 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 jump in or the advance is over the last twenty years uh, in technology been astonishing. Um, what is Smart Dublin and and what if what are the objectives? What are you trying to achieve with it?
1: Yeah, so I mean, Smart Dublin and, and and the Smart City program overall, it's really looking at all these new and emerging technologies. And you know, there's a lot of these buzzwords like Internet of Things or 5G or or, you know, big data, and you hear them all and you kind of think, what the hell yeah. does that mean? You know, what what difference does it make uh, to me? And and you imagine, like, you know, within government or within the city council, you know, there, there's so many great people, engineers, dealing with, you know, problems that the city faces, whether it's congestion or poor air quality or flooding or, you know, waste management. And then in a parallel world, you have like the world's biggest tech companies on our doorstep. You have an amazing kind of all these startups. And this is like what Futurescope is all about, is yeah. kind of embracing that. And, and really what, what I tried to do in the, the Smart City program is is how can you connect, you know, the emerging technology, new ideas against the problems that we face running our city? Because, you know, the people running the city don't really understand how quick the technology is moving. So everything from drones Uh, to, you know, better data through real-time sensors, you know, that can transform, you know, how we respond uh, to incidents. Imagine, like, heavy rainfall. We're seeing a lot more, you know, significant flooding and heavy rainfall uh, in the city with with climate change. So, you know, if you know where the rainfall is hitting the hardest and and, and, and in high-risk areas and where the flooding is potentially going to cause damage, you know, and you have that data and you can respond fast, and and the technology has just transformed that, these sensors now are ten times cheaper to what they used to be. You can yeah. put a lot more of them out. So, re- really, the kind of the idea is the real-time, you know, connected, data-driven uh, city. But uh, but the smart city program is about it's about thinking about the future. How do we take that opportunity? And also, with opportunity, there's challenges as well. You know, a lot of private companies, you know, collecting data, all these different systems. How do they connect with each other? Are they doing the right thing? Yeah. You know, we hear a lot about things like you know facial recognition and you know, people having too much data about individuals. And you kind of think, you know, from a city perspective, we want to shape the city of the future to be the right type of city of the future that has the right principles underpinning it. And that it's about delivering kind of better outcomes for all as opposed to being driven by industry and driven by profit, you know. So getting that balance right. And and one thing that I love love about the Smart City Program is that we, we work with so many different startups. And, you know, I always kind of have this, Mantra in terms of if you can solve a problem in Dublin, and we'll give you opportunities to test it in Docklands or, or or some of our accelerated test beds. If you can solve that problem in Dublin, working with the city, there's thousands of cities around the world that need these solutions. So it's just great great test bed. Yeah, Yeah, great, great test bed, great market opportunity, and we can be one of the first or the quickest to get to market in some of these solutions, and at the same time helping the city. Uh, helping us tackle some of these challenges, and it's inspiring for staff yeah. and and anyone working on these projects, uh, whether it's in waste or, or or flooding or transport, they just love working with startups or or, or the tech companies, and they the tech companies and, and startups love working with us because they're like we never realised this is the stuff you have to deal with, you know. So yeah, it's uh, it's all about collaboration and, and academia. You know, we we have such a richness in terms of uh, research and academia. You know, expertise. Uh, that triple
0: helix that they talk about of academia and and
1: government, yeah, and, yeah, yeah, and yeah. then traveling tra- 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 communities and it's the quadrihelix helix, and then wow. I've heard it goes on. It, there's there's all sorts of levels of helix, this and helix that,
0: but yeah, <laughs> working together smartly. Uh, just yeah. go back. Just go back on something there. So we were talking about challenges, and you mentioned that this this kind of interplay between private uh, industry or or you know who have who have their own objectives, and then the city uh, where you have maybe similar but also different objectives is your role kind of shepherding that ecosystem together um, and bringing in bringing in the players is that a key part of what you do
1: yeah yeah absolutely and it's not just dublin i mean there's coalitions of cities around the world and actually the world economic forum are bit big on this but it's really about you know shaping the right type of future and i think we see a lot of the the smart city vision of you know maybe some of the the, the the chinese cities is a very different smart city vision to uh maybe european u.s cities do, do you know it's yeah. um it kind of a, it kind of aligns very much with your kind of governance structures as well but i think it's um you know data is very powerful and you know the more data you have the more power you potentially have as well so you have to be very careful and cautious in, in how you use it, but in saying that, um, we have amazing partnerships with, with companies like Google. Uh, Google are one of the biggest employers in Dublin, but we work. They have a, pr- a program in the US, uh, the Environmental Insights uh, Explorer, where they they t- they take you know aggregated, anonymized Google data and help cities um, understand you know the quality of the air yeah. uh, in their in their city, but also maybe the emissions that are coming from transport. And 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 we have like access to a lot of really interesting data that helps us on our climate action kind of ambition and and I think it's it's that hybrid of you know public agencies private sector all working together against the common goal of you know how do we address uh, big challenges like climate action.
0: Yeah, yeah. You mentioned uh, earlier on about the role of the startup in developing some of these innovations and working with the city or working with the big, uh, working with the big tech companies. And we're all about startups and, and innovation on this show. Is there any that spring to mind for you? Uh, either an example of the startup or maybe the innovation that they're working on that that our listeners would say, "Well, I, I didn't think something like that could happen."
1: Yeah, I mean, so so many, and that's one of the most exciting things about working. Uh, on, on this program is we, we run a lot of kind of uh, challenges with Enterprise Ireland and where we seed fund uh, startups maybe to work with us and give them piloting chances and, you know, help to develop their products. Um, yeah, we had some really cool ones over the years, a, a Northern Ireland based uh, company called C-Sense, um which have developed a smart bike light. And uh, it was earlier on in their evolution, they just kind of really at the start of their journey about five five years ago when we started working with them. And the bike light has kind of uh, artificial intelligence and sensors built in. But when you cycle, it kind of captures your journey. But the sensors kind of capture whether there's potholes or whether you're swerving uh, or (laughs) whether you've got a near accident. So we we actually um, rolled out a thousand of these uh, where cyclists across Dublin hooked them onto their bikes. And the data we got back was phenomenal where you could see the quality of the the roads, where the potholes were, and we started working with a company called Acom, um, and uh, and looking at you know how could you use this then to influence cycle infrastructure investments. And Csend have gone on to do great things uh, around the world, very very successful uh, company. But another more recent one, actually a really cool um, consortium based out of uh, the DCU, at uh, a project called Luna, where we, they-
0: we have them on with us later on this afternoon, Jamie.
1: Ah, wow. Okay, great. Yeah. So so one of our, our, we have these districts where we kind of support areas to fast track technology and uh, Docklands was the first. I mean, obviously with the Googles and the big tech was was obvious choice, but our, our, one of our second areas was, was DCU, Smart DCU. So when we can't do things in the city, um, can we do them in a campus and move a bit quicker? Yeah. And, and one of the areas that, you know, we've been pushing for you know, let's do more with scooters, but um, the legislation has taken a while to <laughs> catch up. But on the campus in DCU, we could work with them to understand, you know, maybe the potential of scooters. And, and we've had a few uh, projects, but on the back of our Smart DCU collaboration, we were able to kind of bring together a couple of companies. And, and over the last couple of years, they've just, they've embraced this. And, and Luna have spun out and they're creating this solution to address the, maybe the, the safety and, and how you get better, Behavior from scooter riders because you don't want them left all over the street using really smart uh, technology. So I think Bob O'Driscoll or Driscoll's involved in that as well. Yeah, that's so right. Yeah. A, bit, a bit of glamour. Yeah. But it's, uh, <laughs> it's absolutely uh, it's absolutely amazing, like how all of us working together, looking at a problem, uh, creating opportunities, and and you know these guys got investment. And if if they crack this, this scooter market's like a multi-billion. Uh, dollar market, it's just absolutely huge. But that, that's the state that, that the smart city market is just massive. You're, you're talking about mega cities, you're talking about towns, you're talking about uh, smaller cities, you know, all trying to solve similar problems. And, you know, if, if you are just got a great idea and you uh, can embrace technology and build a solution or a service, just this huge opportunity there.
0: Fantastic. Jamie, we've about a minute left, uh, but I wanted to close off by, by kind of getting you to talk about just to finish us off uh, and going back to that picture of the future, what's kind of the big trends that you're seeing in the city? So we've talked about climate, we've talked about moving around the city. Um, anything else that, that springs to mind that if I was sitting at home, I'd be saying wow, yeah, I, I need to watch out for this?
1: Uh, well, I mean, the connectivity on the back of COVID, I mean, we've we we we've been running a connectivity programme the last couple of years and, and we've been really looking at how we can uh, facilitate, you know, 5G and next generation connectivity and yeah world-best-in-class wireless and mobile connectivity in Dublin. Once we hit COVID, before COVID, people were kind of like, that, that, that's that's useful project. Now it's absolutely essential. Yeah. None of this is possible without without connectivity. Still lots of black spots, poor connectivity. Uh, we need we need great infrastructure in Dublin. We've got some great infrastructure, but we need better. Right. And we need to really position ourselves uh, for, for, for the future. But serious stuff happening in, in the areas of drones, uh, mobility as a service um uh, probably micro mobility and e-scooters watch this space uh 5 i, I think it's a 5g yeah. but but also 3d modeling digital twin is probably one of the kind of hot topics uh in in smart city so this idea of of representing your city in in a 3d model and then having all real time data like the air quality the traffic and being able to simulate you know uh, now and what happens and if you do something different and yeah. uh, and the imp- implications if you put in you know, uh, you know, maybe low emission zones. What impact would that have? You put a bike, getting in. You can model this stuff and the technology tools and the way you visualise that. Some of the stuff we're starting to see is just phenomenal.
0: Brilliant. Jamie, thank you so much uh, for coming on. Uh, thank you for joining us this afternoon and it was great to chat to you. Uh, thanks, Jamie.
1: That's great. Thanks very much for that.
0: Thanks indeed. That was Jamie Cudden of Dublin City Council uh, joining us here this afternoon on the Smart City. So what a great insight into the city of the future uh, from from Jamie there at Dublin City Council. And following on from that, each week we bring you a startup, uh, an innovator who has spotted a gap in the market and is developing a, a product or a service or a solution to address that gap. So digging a little bit more into that smart city discussion, we're going to look at mobility as a key aspect of, of that. And it seems to me that scooters and electric bikes are proving to be an affordable kind of zero emission and fun way of moving around the city. And certainly the pandemic has has quickly adopted uh, or accelerated their adoption, uh, it seems to me, over the last 12 months. So, you know, in these times, we all want to avoid crowded buses and trains. And one of the ways to do that is scooters. Um, and what you're going to want to know is where and when your, your light vehicle, your scooter is, how it's being used. And our next guest is working on a system to let you know precisely where your light uh, vehicle or electric vehicle is positioned and how it's been driven how it's been ridden or been operated so I'm delighted this week to be joined by Andrew Fleury of Luna Andrew good afternoon and thanks for joining us.
2: Hi Connor, thanks for having me on.
0: Delighted um, start us off tell us about Luna Systems what do you do?
2: Yeah so, so what we're doing is we're bringing safety technology to the micromobility industry and and, and, and the kind of key technology is, is um, Machine vision, camera-based things. So it's like you'd have in a, in a new car these days. They, they all have cameras in them to enhance the safety. We're sort of bringing a scooter or an e-bike version of that to uh, to help these things just be safer in a in an urban environment.
0: So so what is, what does that? What are you are you trying to solve? I suppose. What's the problem that you're getting at? Is it that I can I can track myself, but my vehicle also?
2: no it's it's a, it's a little bit different so so the key thing in uh in micromobility is they're tremendously popular people love using them everything else but just the the integration of the city has been the challenge so um challenges with people riding them on sidewalks people parking them in the wrong place that's what the the friction point is yeah. at the moment so so we're trying to address those two problems with technology is essentially keep the uh the scooters off the sidewalk and to And to help park them better,
0: which sounds to me like it 's bang on topic, so how exactly are you going to do that
2: yeah so 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 the core of of all the technology we 're doing is is machine vision, and uh, you know we we 've had uh, a lot of help. We started off probably about two years ago doing an incubator with uh, with Intel and Movidius. And, uh, you know, the huge network actually in Dublin all, all around this type of technology. So that's where we started. And then we've sort of built the, uh, built the project and the team out from there. And, uh, it's, it's all about getting the, uh, the camera onto the, the vehicle and then having the kind of smart AI algorithms that, uh, that detect, uh, what you need to see. Am I on the footpath? Am I in a parking bay? Um, yeah. That's the kind of core
0: concept, Conor. Okay, perfect. Sounds good. So, machine vision uh, for our listeners then is, is pretty much the ability, as you have the camera on the on the scooter or the bike, uh, to be able to track what's going on with that particular vehicle in real time. I presume down to to very uh, narrow kind of limits.
2: Yeah, exactly. It it works. You know, accuracy-wise, it, it's um, it's it's very very high. The, the the positioning that we can get with uh, with this technology is is uh, maybe ten twenty centimeters. So it's so much much better than uh, what you would have on a traditional GPS. Traditional GPS is maybe three meters at best, but in reality, in an urban environment, it's probably five or ten. So uh, the camera based solutions are, are much more
0: accurate. So five or 10 metres is, is your kind of traditional GPS and you're bringing that down to kind of centimetres, three centimetres.
2: Yeah, and I mean, the, the use case for traditional GPS has been navigation. Okay, I want to get to such and such a place or, yeah. or uh, I want to track a car. And five or 10 metres has, has has been fine because yeah. uh, that's the size of the vehicle and, and, and everything else. But when you're trying to park a scooter, is that in a parking bay or is its it, is it Outside it, that's actually important, right, because it can now be blocking the footpath. So uh, it just requires a, like a higher level of
3: accuracy, if that makes
0: sense. Yeah, absolutely. But what what's the business model here? So uh, my question, I suppose, is who wants to track where that vehicle is? Is it the city? Is it engineers? Who wants to know what's going on?
2: Yeah, so so there's a little bit of an ecosystem. So so for us, our customer is the uh, is the scooter operator. So it's, they're they're the people that that you'll see. Out in the streets, they'll have their branded yeah. uh, their branded scooter, right? And you know, there's a few Irish uh, players. There's, there's many international players, but that that for us is the customer. But a key stakeholder is the is the city uh, because they they want the uh, the end result. You know that that uh, that this thing operates smoothly. And if you look at it, it's a fantastic um, form of public transport for the city because in a sense it's very, very cheap. If you compare it to doing a you know a, a, a Lewis or adding bus routes or anything else like that, it's it's really, really cost effective. But just the challenge is for the people not on these vehicles, how do they make it uh safe and viable and and all of those things so so what our job is to let the city know this technology is available we can we can solve these problems and then from there hopefully micro mobility can kind of take off and fulfill its potential
0: fantastic yeah we heard from from uh, jamie cudden earlier on and, and he did mention you when we were talking about that vision for the for the city what's the plan for luna i mean what stage are you at at the moment in funding what's the next big milestone look like for you
2: yeah, so so we've we've just done a uh, a seed funding kind of at the end of of last year, and that's helped us kind of get the team moving. We're, we're we're right now looking at our our next round of funding to kind of take us on to the next level. But we've been, uh, I guess, really lucky or, or, or fortunate to get some really big pilots. We, we've got pilots running with uh, with Voy and with Tier. They'd be the two biggest uh, operators in in the European market. We're doing some work with, with Zip as well, an Irish
0: Charlie. Uh, company. Charlie, I know Charlie, yeah
2: yeah uh so 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 we've got kind of great traction in the market uh, we've had kind of huge PR uh success and really we're just moving from that stage from pilots to commercialization that's that's the stage we're at now uh,
0: and um so so by commercialization is actually taking it out of the lab if you will and bringing it out onto the city and seeing does it work
2: yeah, I mean we're we're already out on the on the streets, but uh, but not in uh, in 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 anger. Let's say so. So what what success looks for us is is uh, you know, for example, a an operator goes and wins a tender for scooters in Dublin or in London yeah. or in Manchester, and they say Luna Technology is going to be on every scooter at this point in time. Uh, it's it's p- pilots and people testing the technology. So we, we hope to get that milestone achieved kind of by the end of the year that uh, uh, Luna Tech is, is being used and is, is kind of part of the fabric of the offering of the operator for for the city
0: they're working in. Yeah, yeah. Um, one of the questions we ask the, the startups, the innovators that come onto the show is around the challenges in, you know, our listeners are interested in how do you grow a business. Uh, uh, so, uh, as you 've been developing this uh, ecosystem um what what are some of the challenges that you've faced
2: yeah so th- I think that 's an interesting question for 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 this project uh, we 've genuinely been the first one right so so when we started working on it, nobody else was working on machine vision for uh, micro mobility, so we spent a long time kind of thinking maybe we 're crazy here uh, because we, you know people were saying this is going to be too much technology for these these vehicles is going to be too expensive, everything else. But as we kind of made progress and, and, and got a bit of traction, that started to change. And then the, all of a sudden, a couple of competitors came along. Yeah. And, and the cliche of, you know, if you don't have competitors, you won't have customers was really kind of uh, uh, Tested. so apt in this case because it, it, it it's accelerated everything. Once a couple of competitors have come along, we've been able to sort of to um, just move things and it's, it's advanced the all, all the discussion. So so I think the challenge has been first, right, and, and not been able to have a, you know, maybe a template to build to or anything else. But at the same time, that's been a real benefit because we got huge PR coverage. You know, we've been in the Washington Post, we've wow. been in in uh, BBC, we've been in, um, you know, just global uh, PR pickup because you, you've got that, like, uh, you know, genuine innovation. Yeah. So uh, so the the challenge and and the advantage of that challenge I guess are kind of wrapped together if that makes
0: sense. Yeah absolutely. So um this year then for you is around moving into commercialization. Uh Possibly doing some further funding. You you mentioned, I think you said that you'd raise the seed round. So maybe now moving on to kind of further funding beyond that. Um, paint a picture for me of what you look like in about five years' time. We've about thirty seconds left. So what will what will will Luna look like in in five years' time?
2: Yeah, well, we'd like you know we'd like to be the leader in this space. Would would, would be great. But I guess overall the vision is that we kind of enable micromobility to be safe in in cities, and that uh, you know the these things are, are are going. There's not the headaches that are there now. So if, if we could be a part of that, I think we genuinely change uh, the way we move around cities and uh, if commercial success came
0: with that, that'd, that'd be fantastic. That's brilliant. Uh, thank you for joining us this afternoon, Andrew, and the very best of luck for the future. That's Andrew Fleury of Luna Systems uh, joining us there. Um, one of the things that was mentioned is uh funding and how entrepreneurs are are kind of accessing seed funding to grow their businesses and I think to explain one of the key areas that startups need to look at is HPSU funding from Enterprise Ireland and we've heard about it in previous shows what is you know people mention HPSU and they mention Enterprise Ireland and being involved there so I might just take a couple of minutes to explain what is HPSU and how you might avail of this support so firstly what is it well, the high potential startup funding program is delivered by Enterprise Ireland and it's it's really aimed at kind of supporting companies who have an ambition to build to scale to grow their company internationally. And there's lots of of kind of criteria, but broadly speaking a HPSU can be defined as a company that's internationally focused and has the potential to employ, employ at least 10 people within 3 years of starting and generate revenues of about one million, at least one million. So that's kind of, you know, broadly speaking, what, what, what a HPSU is. The funding is delivered by way of of a match funding principle. So let's say you wanted to raise 400k, EI will potentially match you up to 200k, and then you need to raise the other 200k privately. So they bring together the round uh, uh, and and allow you to, to kind of pull that together. And last year, there were 80 such investments done by Enterprise Ireland. So quite a significant level of early funding going into startups. And you know i mentioned the criteria but eligibility for hpsu could be do you have a new or innovative product or service that you're you're looking to scale into international markets um do you have a good management team? And I think having more than one person having a team is important. You're going to base the business in Ireland um, and you have ambition to scale and to grow. And that's the type of company that are kind of getting interest uh, uh, from Enterprise Ireland on that. So if that's of interest to you uh, and you want to have a chat about HBSU funding, you can go and have a look at the Enterprise Ireland website or indeed chat to Dublin BIC and that's startup at Dublin dot IE. We've been talking about how starting and scaling a business can be tough and each week we speak to a founder who is succeeded, who's well on the way to building a global company to see if we can uncover an ingredient that might just inspire or motivate somebody listening. Founded just over 10 years ago, Davra has become a very successful international uh, business and IoT platform with a strong footing in Europe and the USA, has created very strong partnerships including Intel, Cisco and has serious ambitions for further growth. So today I'm delighted to welcome the CEO, Paul Glynn. Uh, Paul, good afternoon and thanks for joining us.
3: Good afternoon, Connor. How are you? I'm
0: very good, thanks. Great to have you on with us. Um, to start us off, Tell us a little bit about you and your background. I was reading a quote. Uh, I think it was probably in one of your in-house magazines. Um, the reality is, I was always a computer geek, writing basic programs on the Spectrum and the Commodore sixty-four in my bedroom in the eighties. Is that true?
3: <laughs> yeah, you're making <laughs> me feel really old. <laughs> <laughs> Yes, yeah, that was that was true. That was true. Not so much anymore, but I do still have the Commodore 64 and the Spectrum sitting in my office here. So they remind me of the old days.
0: Very good. So you do have an IT background. Uh, that's that's where you started off.
3: Uh, very much so, yeah. Now, uh, in fairness, my, my pure background is sales and marketing. I would not regard myself as an engineer, certainly not to the caliber of most of the engineers in our team, but yeah. I've always worked in the technology industry right from from day one. I, I remember I, after after school, I had a summer off and I did a, a FOSS course in, for people who remember FOSS.
0: Down in Lachlanstown.
3: I did this one in Finglas right. and It was City and Guilds 112, I think, which was electronic <laughs> engineering. And my I, I told the, the FOSS lecturer that I wanted to work in computers. And he said, that's a bit like saying you want to work with a hammer. <laughs> How do you remember? Explain <laughs> that, please. So,
0: so, so that was that was the starting point. Um, that
3: was that was where it all started. Exactly.
0: Very good. Um, you moved into uh, you moved into sales then, I guess. After that, and you've kind of built uh, that that I suppose that skill set in your in your life to, over the last couple of years. I suppose. Yeah,
3: very much so. Um, I suppose really my career has always sales or retail. It has been selling technology but it has. I've I, I, I had a very, very short time actually making things and building things. So, yeah. uh, I'm, I'm, I, we, I, We've got good people who do all that and I just leave them to it. But, but certainly good. from it I'm probably relatively unusual in the IoT industry that a lot of the CEOs of the big IoT platforms are engineers by trade and they're extremely technical. Um, but we have a fantastic mix in Davra and I know Connor you've met Brian and Layla, Joe yep. Quinn, my business partners. So the balance is there. Brian and Joe are seriously technical individuals. And they know what they're doing and I just have to explain it in, in, in English. You
0: know, Translation. Exactly,
3: um, exactly.
0: You've set up uh, a number of businesses and I'm really looking forward to getting into into those journeys and the experience. And actually that piece that you're talking about there is the mix between the engineering and the sales and marketing and getting that balance right. But we've been talking earlier on this afternoon uh about the connected world or connected cities. Um, I'd love to get your take at a kind of macro level first on that around what's happening in, in that connected city and what are the big trends that you're seeing uh,
3: happening there? Yeah, well, like, I know you, you had Jamie on earlier and yeah. Jamie's just a fantastic guy. And I know, I know him a long, long time. And in fairness, what he's built very widely recognised around the world. People look to Dublin and they talk about Dublin as a very, as a seriously connected city. And I think Jamie talks a lot about the technology behind that and the, the smart people and his team, and they're, and they're all great. But what Jamie has done differently is actually engaged the stakeholders. Right. The politics and the people who are involved is much more complex than technology. Technology does what you ask it to do. If you build a network to connect things, you put sensors out there, they create data. You can pull that data back, you can analyze it, you can make, you can do whatever you want with it. Technology always does what you ask it to do. The people is a bigger problem. And and that is something Jamie has managed very well, is, is the stakeholders and who's involved and who's interested, and who has data that might be interesting to other people. And if you get back to the technology side, that that talks to the network effect of of, of sort of data, that the more people are using a piece of data, the more valuable that becomes. I think where you see real smart cities, it's where they get that and they start making sure that data is shared. And that's something Jamie has done really well. Right from day one, they opened up all the data. They didn't build silos and hide
0: information from people they made it available to anyone who wanted it. There's there's two lovely insights in there. One is is around Jamie mentioned it it's not about the technology but it is about the data and using the data wisely and and you've picked that piece up. But the other one that you mentioned there is is around the people and actually you know the job that they're trying to do with Dublin and with other cities uh, is is connecting and building ecosystems. And, and your piece there about bringing the, all of the parties together, the technology will do what it does in the end. But but actually getting a common purpose and a common vision for the city that's a lovely that's a lovely insight actually.
3: Yeah, and it's really critical because a smart city is about like making life easier and better for citizens, for service providers. When I say service providers. Yes. I mean. Dublin bus, or the guards, or ESB, uh, or, or whoever—all those service providers. Then you've got businesses around the city, and then you've got visitors in the city. And really, the technology is just designed to make their life easier. So, if you start to look at those people as individuals, or those groups as individuals, and see what's interesting to them, well, then you realise it is just about sharing data. We yeah. we had a project. We do a lot of business with the city of San Diego, and particularly with their transport team. And uh, we've lots of projects right across their front. Basically, their entire transport infrastructure is managed using our technology. But we had a project with the operations people, which is about tracking trains, where the train is, where it should be held in in relation to its timetable. And then we run some analytics and we we, we get train times accurate to about 15 seconds. So we, we know to within a sort of 10 to 15 second accuracy where the train is and where it should be and how long it will take it to get to its next stop separately and you just bear with me while I tell this story <laughs> yeah, but yeah, yeah. separately we worked with the marketing department to count passengers coming onto the train so we want to know how many passengers are at a stop at each time of the day how many passengers get on and off at each station etc cetera, etc cetera. and that was relevant because they're selling advertising and they say well they've got these digital signs and they've if it's really busy at a certain time of the day, they get more value. They can charge extra for the, for the advertising. But it came up in conversation with the with the, the, the CTO at one point that they really they had serious difficulties. If it was game day, so if it was a baseball game in Petco Park, which is in the center of the city, you can imagine a, yeah. a, a baseball stadium where the GPO is, where you slap bang in the center of the city. They said that on game day, local law enforcement were stopping trains from stopping at that station and the station before and the station after. And the reason was because they said we're really busy and we don't know how many people will get on the train and when the train will arrive. And CTO was able to say, well, you know, we, we have that information. We can share that with you. And really quickly, he created a secure web page, gave uh, links to that webpage to that, uh, that crowd control team. And straight away, everything was fine. They just They just needed visibility. They needed to know honestly, when will the train arrive and how many people are on it. Once they saw that, they were happy that they could control it. Lovely. But because they didn't have visibility, they were just stopping the trains completely. So it was a really simple sharing of data made a massive difference to to, to fix the problem.
0: But no one had thought of when they, were, when they were collecting the data in the first place. It's a lovely example of, of kind of the smart city at work and how how the data and the technology uh, uh, underpins that. Show, uh, we're a show about innovation and entrepreneurship. So let's talk a little bit about you and and kind of startups and and share some insights with our listeners. You you before Davra you had a previous uh startup you had a software company. Yes. And well, tell us about that.
3: Well Forbes, Forbes wrote an article a few years ago called The Accidental Entrepreneur. So I'm sort of stealing their title but that's that's the way I tend to describe myself. Yeah. Cranog Cran was interesting um, I worked for a company called Land Communications, which was in a very early stage, since the early 90s, the very early days of networking, the networking was a black art. Yeah. There were about five or six core Cisco engineers in Europe, and, or sorry, in Ireland, should I say, there were about 50 in Europe, five or six in Ireland, and two of them worked for Landcoms. So this was a really leading-edge company, and we, we worked with some of the biggest companies in the world because so many big US multinationals were, were moving to Ireland at that point. And I was working for Landcoms. We had a client who had a problem. One of our engineers wrote a little script to fix that problem. Client was very happy. We wrote to a few more clients and then we started to think, hey, this could be interesting. It could be a product. It could be something we could actually build and sell. While that was happening, uh, Air or Aircom, as they were called at the time, were in the process of acquiring Landcoms. Yeah. So suddenly we had a, we had a, a little mini company, a sub company inside Landcoms that had no product, some good ideas, no product, no staff, no revenue, and it just confused things for Aircom. Yeah. So i sort of made the decision that if, if Aircom bought us, I was going to step out and run. I would build this this company, which ultimately became Cranog. Yeah. So. Uh, literally, Erica bought, I started crying out the next day, and we just took it from there. And uh, that was that was the start. Of us. We sold that business to Fluke Networks back in two thousand seven. Yeah, and um, it was all around network management. And uh, then Davra, we myself and the team worked for Fluke for a couple of years. And what the, the original Davra was all ex people. It was about seven of us, uh, out of Davra, or Kernet of should I say. Yeah. Brian and Joe, my two business partners, actually founded uh, Davra. They asked me to help with a business plan and lo and behold, I got dragged in as, as CEO, which which I sort of have Dublin Big to blame for because <laughs> it was Alex in Dublin BIC said, yeah, we'll invest, but we need, we want Paul to come in because we want a commercial element to the management team as well.
1: Going
0: back to that notion of getting the engineering mix and the sales and marketing mix right. It,
3: Exactly, exactly. Yeah.
0: where did the concept for Davra come from? because you know this is back in two thousand and eleven twelve I guess um not a lot of people were talking about connect connected cities or internet of things, and i'm going to get you to explain that to me in a minute, but people weren't talking about it back then how did How did you guys arrive at that concept
3: well if you if you think Chrono was a network management company, so we were managing network infrastructures and banks and retail environments and manufacturing plants and that type of world. But it was all physically connected. It was was fibre and copper cables, basically. When we, uh, after Cranough, we sort of thought about, look, what could we do to get the band back together? We want to go back to doing what we'd always done because that market had got quite saturated. But we sort of came up with this concept that, you know what, The, the world is changing. People are connecting things they never connected before. Buses and trucks and trains and ATMs and vending machines. All this, like, sensors on oil and gas pipelines, sensors on hospital beds. And they're starting to connect these things. And the connection is different. The connection is cellular or satellite or radio or something that isn't a very busy market. There's no one out there building tools to manage those connections. Um, so that's that's how Davra started. Right. But really quickly we realized that, you know what, the person who manages a fleet of vehicles or who runs all the ATMs for a bank they don't care about connectivity. Maybe naively, but they're not networking people. They're operational people. They, they, they assume when they connect something, it will stay connected. So the value, they didn't see value in a network management tool. But they saw value in a data management tool. Right. So you're, you're managing that thing. You're making sure it's connected. But can you collect the data from it? Can you? get that data, can you get it in front of someone who can make a decision within my organization in a format that they can consume and they can react to? Or can you get it integrated into some back office system that tells me my ATM machine is going to run out of 20, 20 euro notes, for example? Right. So that's really how it evolved. Like We, we looked at this as a, as a networking issue and then realized it wasn't a networking issue at all. It was very much about information. You're taking data and turning it into information and then turning that information into action. That was that was the fundamental sort of building blocks for davra after that yeah
0: so so if if I'm playing it back to you correctly, you guys are are the the kind of the network you're you're the the management software that underpins the connectivity for for people as you say who are delivering services out to consumers or out to to other end users you're you're kind of the the spine that's pulling it together well that,
3: that's where we started, but really where we have evolved to is We are more engaged, and more focused, and we realize there's more value in the the data itself. So telling the clients, you're managing that thing out at the edge of your network. This is what's happening at the moment. This is how it's reacting to its environment. This, This is what the problems it is telling us about, and this is what you need to do to fix that. So we've actually become much more involved in our customer business rather than just managing a piece that that, that got all that moved the data around we're actually managing the data for them
0: so the lovely example you gave us of of kind of san diego and the trains where you're kind of saying well look, we can help you fix that problem we have the data we can tell you how many people are coming off the train how many you know what time they're going to arrive and what does that mean for crowd control here's the here's the answer using the data to the problem that you're you're stuck with
3: absolutely absolutely it's all about real life business problems or or organizational problems that need to be addressed and we're addressing them through the use of data
0: can i just slightly uh sidetrack for a moment uh so we heard from jamie this morning around kind of the internet of things or this afternoon we heard about the internet of things and uh network demystify internet of things or iot Uh, what exactly is it for those of us and our listeners who aren't as up to speed on it
3: have we got about an hour and a half? I would say, because, yeah.
0: well, In layman's terms, Paul.
3: Okay, well, I would start by saying the thing about the Internet of Things is there's no such, there's no Internet of Things. It doesn't exist, okay? It's it's a marketing term, and it's very, very much a marketing term. And what, what IoT means to Jamie is very different to what IoT means to one of our manufacturing customers or one of our healthcare customers. Really... IoT is just using technology, newer technologies, in really smart ways to change how you do business. Okay, so, um, oh, what would be the best example? I, I sometimes sort of compare it to e-commerce. Yeah. You, you, you're old enough, Connor, to remember this Thanks e-commerce home. boom. In, yeah, no problem. <laughs> you started it. Uh, <laughs> you, you, this e-commerce boom back in the early 2000s. The, the first sort of uh, dot-com crash was all around e-commerce. No, no one. I can't remember the last time I heard the word e-commerce. Yeah. We just all do our business online today. Everything is digital. Yeah, and it's the same with IoT. I think IoT will only really have succeeded when we stop talking about IoT. We're just we're digitising our businesses and we're digitising our organisations. And if that's a city, which is what Jamie is doing, like he's creating a digital view of Dublin City. If that's a manufacturing work with companies like Ford Motor Company and their. Providing a digital campus, and they're providing that, that every element of their um, of their their campus can be, they want to collect data and visualise that data and allow people to interact with that data and make decisions about how they go about their day, like how they move from one building to another, what they order for their lunch, what meeting rooms they go into. That, that's all IoT. Yeah. If you've got a smartwatch or a, or if you've got a, a ring doorbell, that's all IoT. But they. They're nothing in common. So I'm probably jumping around a little bit here, Connor. But think think about IoT as digitising whatever it is you want to digitise. And in your world, it may be something very different to another, another industry. So it, you can't just draw a circle around IoT and say that's the IoT industry there. That's the size of it. And we're a startup, and we're targeting that company or that that, that market. If we get one percent, it's worth X. It is very different, and IoT is the value of data in the healthcare industry, for example, is much more than the value of data in environmental monitoring. You're looking at you've got a sensor looking at air pollution. That's obviously interesting, but it's just ones and zeros coming from what we at diversity see is ones and zeros and we react to that. And we've got a a sensor and a heart monitor that's equally just ones and zeros. But I damn well need to tell my client very quickly if that heart monitor is telling me something bad. Um, where there may not be quite so much rush if the pollution level has risen slightly or the water in a river has risen half a centimetre. That's yeah. not as important or critical. So there's so many moving parts. It really is difficult to say, this is IoT, this is how it works. If you do this, you'll succeed. If you do that, you won't.
0: It's, it's, your analogy is, is bang on when, you, you know, the e-commerce, which was, you know this bright shiny thing back around two thousand. Now it's just the way you buy stuff and you get it delivered to your house the following day. Uh, and IoT is this. We're probably still at the early stage where, yeah, I do have the the Nest doorbell or I have the Nest inside the house or I have the the Fitbit. Um, but in actual fact, that's just a connected world that we're going to live in. And and you know there will be, it it will just as you say, IoT will have succeeded when we don't talk about IoT anymore. You know.
3: Exactly, I'm sure if someone rocked up to Dublin, big tomorrow and say I have, I have this fantastic uh, e-commerce company, would you like to invest in it? You'd <laughs> shut the door. Yeah, um, and that's the way it should be for IoT in a couple of years. So people just shouldn't talk about it anymore. It's just we're just everything is connected, everything is digital,
0: and that means different things to different people. And it's the use cases and it's the benefits to society or benefits to consumer that get delivered off that. Um, talk to me uh, because. Our listeners are interested in in people who build successful companies. and your what well, you have done and are doing uh, that. Um. With Davra, what's the scaling journey been like so far? Talk to me about kind of the early, early days setting it up. You mentioned raising some some early stage funds and and talking to the ABC fund, Alex and the guys and, and Eugene, and then moving on from there. What's what's the journey been like?
3: I love the fact that you're using the word journey because <laughs> it sounds a bit. Excuse me, and I help this. I'll be sensitive about the language. It's, it sounds a bit uh, cliched to talk about a journey, but that is, that's is—that's exactly what it is. Yeah. It's, it's a lot of people, so when you start out, you, you, you live and breathe your business, your company, and you become completely fixated by your company. And you look at all the things you would be able to do if you had money. So you look to your investors to give you that money. But you don't realize that. You don't think about their business and their business model. And when an investor, when Dick first invested in Davila, they they weren't thinking we're just going to give these guys some money and then we'll we leave them to it and we won't hear from them for ten years and then they'll come back and give us a, give us a, a big check. Yeah, they want to be involved. They want to understand what we're doing and they want to help. It's not just about the cash, but they also know we'll probably need more cash at a point down the line. So. What we learned was when Alex and Eugene first engaged with us, they were thinking, well, we'll give you this. This will get you to maybe 18 months time or two years time. What's going to happen then? Are you going to sell? Are you going to give us a big return or are you going to get more money? Chances are you're going to look for a second phase of investment. So you need to have a plan to spend the money you got from your initial investors and you need to be starting to where you are going to raise your money next. and why Dublin and BIC were, were fantastic was because they followed their money. They've come along. Every time we've raised cash, we've raised cash about three times uh, over, uh, over the last few years, or, or since inception, and Dublin and BIC have followed with that. Yeah. And that's a great message to bring to your second phase investors. Hey, these guys came in at the start, they're still here, they still like us, they're still engaged, they know our business, and they're investing again. So you have to think about that. It's really difficult if you raise money at the start from someone who can't follow through, yeah. you didn't have to convince your next set of investors, oh, you know, they gave us money, now they're not following through, but we want you to give us money now. And then they're going to go, well, hang on, why aren't they? What, yeah. What's the problem? What do they know that we don't know? Yeah. They've worked with you for two years. So that's really important to think about is the phases of your journey
0: um i heard. i heard somebody once describe you're talking about that initial 18 months money uh, somebody describing it as the proving money in other words here's a bunch of money whatever that might be at a seed round stage now go and prove to us what you've written down on paper here whether that's around customer acquisition or building a, a a prototype or you know whatever that might be but but you're going to use this eighteen months to prove your your early stage kind of thesis or hypothesis around around the business you want to build absolutely
3: absolutely and and the thing is that most Entrepreneurs and those sort of early stage companies are thinking six months, nine months, twelve months. Whereas an investor like Dublin Baker, like Delta Partners, who are another investor, InvestTech, who are all investors in Dabra, they're they're thinking ten years. They've got a fund, they've got a cycle, so they have to think: well, where does this take us, and how do we follow through on this money, and where what what, type, what, what, what point are we at, at in our cycle? In, in relation to, to the investee company as well. So you have to take all of those things into account. You guys in Dublin Big have a business to run in the same way that we have, and we need to understand each other. So it might be a bit weird to say, but I don't like feeling you should treat your investors as customers. You wouldn't take money off a customer and go, thanks guys, see ya, to disappear. You have to deliver something. You have to engage with the customer. You have to give them something they feel they got value on their money.
0: Uh, and and i was i was uh, listening to to somebody talk about uh you know treating your investors as customers And no more than you'd build a customer pipeline you probably also build an investor pipeline and you start to think about who can i talk to why might they be interested what are they trying to to do and then i'll 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 kind of pitch to them absolutely
3: absolutely Um, and, and and why that becomes relevant is money is only one element of an investment in the early days it's really really important but if you're successful, you won't have a problem getting money. One won't have a problem getting people interested in investing in your business. Um, if you're not successful, that's a whole different conversation. But but if you are successful, so for the second and third, potentially fourth and fifth phases, it's about, well, what else can this investor bring? Can this investor bring us access to certain markets? Can they bring us contacts within an industry? Can they bring us potentially reach into an organization who may acquire us down the line? Because something, again, a lot of entrepreneurs forget is that when you are on that investment journey, you have an exit of some description in your future. These investors will expect a return. Uh, most of my my team are sick of me saying this, but I'm oh, yeah. joking. They say, this is not Davrat and Sons. We are yeah. not passing <laughs> this business on to our kids. Right? Yeah. And we, we have an exit in our future because we have to give a return to our investors. So that has to be part of your your, your talk process. Yeah. I mean, where where you're taking your investors to.
0: I was talking to uh, Richard Watson on a call yesterday. He's uh, with Deep Ventures, which is our latest fund. Um we were talking about uh what does investor ready mean? What advice would you give to our listeners about being investor ready? What 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 does that mean? Now, let
3: me see. There is another <laughs> hour and a half conversation. Kind of, um in, in, investor ready is, is, a, is a term that tends to be used at the start of your journey again. Yeah. Using that word, um, do we do we have uh, do we have the product? Do we just have an idea? Do we have a team? You know, people underestimate the value and the power of a team. I mentioned Joe and Brian, my business partners earlier on. We work well because we're so different. If three Paul Glynn's rocked up at the door, I wouldn't invest in them because I don't do the technical think and the way Joe does, I don't do the strategic deep dive that Brian thinks in ten steps ahead. What I, I buy is a different set of skills I bring to the table. So I, I think you always have to look at who are the team and um, what depth you have in that team. You have to look at well, what is the product or the idea or the concepts and you have to look at, well, what's the market and how are we going to access it? They're very basic things to think about when you're starting a business. Um, but you also have to have that concept of well, where it's gonna take you. Yeah. Is This, and I touched on this earlier, is I'm gonna take money from you now, what's the next step for me? So, and, and, and you need to be realistic as well. If you go to an investor and say, uh, we're going to own 10% of the market in two years, they'll just sort of laugh at
0: you. Yeah, yeah.
3: And then you need to have, like, a lot of people think you need to have something that's protectable and no one else can ever do it. But the reality is very few companies really have that. Okay, there are. If you Google IoT platforms, there are hundreds of them. Yeah. If you look at what the analysts say, there are 15 or 16 that are recognized by people like Gartner and Forrester as clear industry leaders. Thankfully, we're on that list, and we're probably one of the smallest companies on that list. Microsoft, and AWS, and Hitachi, and very, very large companies. So it's not as if we're unique and we have something no one else has. We, we have a different way of doing it. We have a different route to market. We have a different way of engaging in the market. But we don't have something that no one else in the world has. So sometimes... Uh, entrepreneurs can get caught up in I need to have something that is just absolutely unique and it's going to be the next Twitter because no one did Twitter and then all of a sudden Twitter came out and then there were millions of copies but at the start there was nothing Very I think you don't have to have that to be investor
0: ready Fantastic Paul we have about 20 seconds left Uh, we ask all our interview guests to finish us off with a piece of advice so I'll ask you to do the same Uh, as a successful uh, entrepreneur business person what's the one thing that's helped you get there? Is it a characteristic, your mindset, a value? What is it? In about 20 seconds.
3: Uh, okay. It, it's really old school, but we have, I have a chairman, Cecil Hayes, who is fantastic. As a CEO, you need a strong chairman. And if you're younger than me, which most people listening probably are, you use the word mentor rather than chairman or something yes. else that's interchangeable. Chairman makes it sound like it's an old mahogany boardroom, <laughs> but, and is the guy who's been around a long time, he's been very successful. When things are good, Cecil is the guy whispering in my ear going, you know, you know what, there's a little bend coming here or there's going to be a problem coming there. You need to think about these. Don't get carried away when things be good. And when things are bad, Cecil is the guy who has my back with the investors and the board and everyone else. Everyone needs a Cecil Hayes. Everyone needs a, a, a chairman mentor. or a mentor or someone who can help you through that. Very
0: good. And Very good. Paul, I'll stop us there. Uh, We're way over time. So, Paul, thank you uh, for joining us this afternoon. Very best of luck with Davra. That's Paul Glynn, the CEO and founder of Davra. Thanks, Paul. Thanks, Connor. Cheers. Well, that's it for this week. I hope you enjoyed our discussion on the future of our connected cities and homes. Do join us again next week when we'll be looking at climate, sustainability, and what does the future hold for this wonderful planet of ours. We hope that the stories you heard today will inspire you. And if you are thinking of scaling an innovative startup and you would like support, do get in touch with us at startup at dublinbic.ie. Thanks again and join us next week at 12 noon on Startup Nation.